insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. And here we are. This is Sean Martin. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here from RSA Conference in uh, San Francisco. The 2023 version, we're in Broadcast Alley. And uh, we've had an exciting week so far. Lots of conversations, lots of talk about risk and AI and all kinds of fun things. Today we're going to get into a topic that, I don't know, I've, I've, it was a topic posed on LinkedIn. Somebody said, you might want to talk about this topic. Others I've kind of poked around with, they said, interesting that you're going to do that at RSA. Everybody's talking about tech, and you're going to be talking about budgeting. Minimum <laughs> viable security. and. Uh, I'm going for it, and I'm thrilled to have the three of you join today for this conversation, Sarah, Meg, and Christy. Thank you very much. Um, for those that don't know you, uh, a few words about who you are, your role, and why this why this journey with me for this next 30, 40 minutes. Sure. I guess I'll go first since right. I'm on this side. Yeah. Uh, my name is Sarah Freeman. I'm an, an industrial cybersecurity researcher, so I do a lot of critical infrastructure protection. Currently based at MITRE Corporation. Uh, I enjoy it a great deal. I guess I've been in the field about uh, more than a dozen years now, but I came via financial crime. So there's an interesting play there because obviously a lot of conversations about risk and how you calculate it, but the calculation looks a little bit different when you're talking about financial things, which are a little bit more straightforward versus safety critical things, life and livelihood, so. Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. Hi everybody, my name is Mega Kulsi and I'm from Alex Partners, from our wonderful cybersecurity practice. And I'm excited to be here with you today and talk about um, just budgeting overall for cybersecurity, where you should spend money and, and so on. But that's an area that I specialize in, uh, especially around uh, cybersecurity cost optimization, uh, CISO leadership roles and so on, and helping companies figure out where they should be spending their money, how they can get that funding, uh, and move on from there. So really excited to share that knowledge with you all today. Hi, I'm Christy Westfall. Uh, I'm currently the VP of Security Operations with Health Equity. So I'm uh, in the trenches trying to figure out um, you know, how to make best use of a budget. Um, and I know budget's a riveting topic, but it's reality, <laughs> right? Um, and you really, I think the, the biggest uh, thing I'm interested in sharing and, and talking about is matching that up against your risk, right? What is your true risk posture? Do you know what it is? What's your strategy? And do you have the right tools in place to optimize that? Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm sure we're going to have loads of fun things to get into calculation and measurement and how do you know you're doing a good thing or not, but what is minimum viable security? Is there such a thing? There's definitely a thing that comes in with the budgets. I mean, you have to be able to justify how you're spending your money and why. So there's at least some thought to what is minimally viable security. In, in every organization. Um, but I, I think that the trick and perhaps why there may have been some debate about that question on LinkedIn is, is more about the fact that that is not a type of decision that can be made in a systematic, repeatable way at every organization. 
because every organization has different factors that affect their, their daily operation. And that's part of what you see when you start saying things like even if we use a traditional equation, risk equals probability times impact, you know, it's very, very common, at least as a starting point. When we start discussing what is the impact of a potential cyber attack, it's going to vary a lot depending on what the mission statement or focus is of the organization. Yeah, so, you know, on, on that note, I, I do agree with it does look different for every organization that I have ever been to. So, you know, during my time as a cybersecurity consultant, uh, going to different organizations across different industries, they have different needs. And minimal viable security looks different for all of them for a lot of reasons, right? Because some of them uh, may not be as mature from a security perspective lining that up with also the security risk, kind of marrying those together and then determining, you know, where you want, where you need to spend money um, to, to reach the minimum benchmarking maybe that you're trying to, to go against and meet, meet those minimum viable security requirements. So it really does look very different for a lot of organizations across different industries. And along those lines, I think one of the highly underutilized tools is threat modeling. Um, I, I really can't emphasize this enough because it's it's bumping it up against that risk framework, like MITRE, um, and, and saying, where am I missing things? And taking that step back and looking holistically, like, what are we using today and how are we getting value out of it? Um, and it all goes back to, am I measuring what, what's coming out of these tools, right? So, from my perspective in security operations, it's all about visibility. I don't know if a tool's doing what it should be unless I have eyes on it and that I'm getting um, good targeted use cases uh, that, that will detect things. That's how I can measure success. Well, we need to look at that holistically and that's where you're, you need to have that good viable threat model to be able to tell you, okay, uh, I still have these holes over here and I still have no tool that can cover that. So right. that's Absolutely. my approach to, to minimum viable security. <laughs> look at that. I think we've nailed it. We're done. <laughs> no, so I'm, I'm uh, way back before I had gray hair, I was doing a lot of uh, product development for a security company, by the way, but there was always a product requirements document that looked at the opportunity, right? uh, what you needed to deliver on or to grab as much of that opportunity as possible. Do you have the team able to do that? Do you have the tech stack able to, what's the feasibility? How successful will you be in the market? Right? What com competitive? Those types of things. That's our threat actors we have to go against. Right. Is there something similar to that where we can define what we need to do? Because there, there is a kind of like a stack rank where you, and it's not just a list. It's a multi-dimensional yes. set of things. Right. You have to kind of juggle and say, this is the best bang for my buck given what I know, which probably has a ton of unknowns as well. <laughs> right. There. No, absolutely. Um, so you know, to my point earlier, right, is you you have to look at, you know, if your organization has not performed a security maturity assessment, <laughs> that must absolutely be done. And not only considering that piece, but also if you have, and hopefully you all have a risk register, right, where you're tracking your security risks. Because even if you are, you know, let's say trying to mature in a specific area, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to address some of the risks that you've already addressed, right? So you actually do have to marry them together. 
and look at a holistic picture to identify where your gaps are, where the need is from a people process technology perspective. And then you could take that information and actually create a strategy or a roadmap. Uh, and once you start actually creating that roadmap, you'll start to see exactly when the right time, the right place, the right amount of money that you need to spend uh, across people, process, technology, uh, and so on. And you'll start to see some of those like dependencies of the initiatives and the projects that you need to uh, work towards. Any, any examples you can share, everybody? So we use NIST, um, and NIST is pretty popular, uh, and even the cybersecurity framework um, is helpful in it's, it's high level, but it really shows you like where, if you can go through that maturity assessment and say, oh, you know, I think this part matters to us most from a risk perspective, whichever identify, detect, um, recover, they're all important, but you know, if you can't right. understand your landscape, uh, how do you do the other stages, right? So it, it, it does, it really does, I, and I agree that the holistic view um, has to happen because we tend to get hyper-focused on one or more initiatives and, and try to boil the ocean, and we can't do that because we're just not going to be successful. Right. So let, me, let me ask this question because in my description of building a product, I know it's very different, but what was the first thing I said? Opportunity, right? And less, yes, feasibility. Do I have the team and the, the capability Absolutely. to do it? Right. But was it's the opportunity. And do, do we miss the mark, do you think, on what is the business trying to accomplish in that equation? We go straight to a framework, sorry, <laughs> straight to a framework that says, here, it's all about risk, and, and then we drive into controls and, and the, the tech stack and the team can run it. In January, there was an interesting debate at a conference that I did not attend this year, but um, I did hear greatly about the conversation at the closing remarks. I'm not going to name names because, you know, no reason to point fingers. But the, the focus of the debate is which thing do you need to do first? If you talk about the NIST cybersecurity framework, identify, protect, usually where people start. Is it most critical that you have an asset inventory or is it most critical that you understand what is key to your business operations in order to continue uh, producing or meeting your daily goals or whatever it is that you're, you're supplying? The assumption is if you're a business and the economy has deemed you worthwhile enough to pay and your services for some capacity, if you make money, then, then you have already identified the opportunity. But I think your question gets to the heart of what potential threat actors uh, uh, capabilities or, or specific maneuverings have we seen that directly address or affect your chances of, of meeting that requirement, meeting that mission, uh, and affecting ultimately your ability to go after the opportunity in the market space. Right. So that, that is a key part of the decision. I, part of the reason why I found the debate so interesting is because they were both right. You both <laughs> need to understand what your mission statement is, what your business opportunity is, as well as the technology, people and processes that allow you to meet that requirement. If you don't have both of those things, then you're not moving on to the next, the next word in the NIST cybersecurity framework. So I definitely want to add to that. Um, a lot of uh, security leaders, they really miss the boat on communicating to the business, like to make it so that you know, you show the business, hey, I'm trying to say something as a security leader, why this is important, 
but how do you bring it back to the business? And the best way really I've seen that done is take what we're trying to say as a security team, hey, we have gaps in this space and so on, and relate it back to the business objectives. And those business objectives can be, hey, I'd like to maintain my brand reputation. Uh, we'd like to grow as a business. So when we're messaging um, security overall, the initiatives we'd like to pursue and the opportunities that we'd like to go after, if we can somehow relate them back to the business objective, we're more likely to get budget. We're more likely to um, you know, get what we need well, to and, be successful. And to build on that, yeah. build it into your product, right? That's a, Absolutely. I hate to say that, but it's a marketing <laughs> yeah. tool, right? Because more and more of your customers are going to demand a little bit of a deep dive into your security program. And they're going to want to know, like, what do you really do? So you can't just have vaporware in that in that sense because when something happens you've got to be able to show hey look we did our due diligence I would like <laughs> to push back slightly on that not right. because it's not a great idea it is hundred percent a great idea they should definitely engineer security into all of their solutions but what I have seen and again I won't name names what I have been told by specific vendors in closed door sessions is that particularly for certain industries where there's not necessarily an economic appetite to purchase security, mm -hmm. uh, embedded mm -hmm. security within their devices, they don't offer it. If it's not contractually obligated, they will not provide it. 100%. And, mm -hmm. the, and this goes back to that market incentive. Security is expensive, um, so it's only going to be there if there is pressure by the, the people purchasing exactly. and the organizations purchasing to have it. But there's this other challenge we have, particularly when we start talking about critical infrastructure, it's a very small marketplace. So the power, there's a power discrepancy between the people who per, are making the purchases, the organizations buying the products, and the vendors creating the solutions. And those aren't necessarily aligned. Well, and it's, it's interesting you, you bring that dimension to it because it is, at the consumer level, it seems like we're just burned out on you know, the data breaches and Correct, we're not yeah. understanding it, we're not demanding enough of that security, but at the corporate level, with the new regulations coming in line, we're going to have to be more upfront, transparent, um, and be able to provide that evidence that we're doing what we say we're supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, and you know, I want to definitely talk about that specific point because I have seen organizations lose money, like lose actually clients or vendors that they want to work with because their product, their service, or so on is not meeting minimum security requirements. So now the clients don't want to work with them. And, and these organizations are losing money as a result of it. Right. So yes, absolutely, embedding security wherever possible uh, you know, should be done. Is it hard? Absolutely. Yep. I, I feel like it's definitely hard to get it incorporated as a cultural shift within the orgs, uh, organizations to do that, but it has to come from the top. That messaging has to come from the top to embed uh, security. I was told a very depressing story last time I was at RSA, uh, last year. It's still true, I presume. <laughs> so true, so depressing. Oh good. Um, an organization had entered into a contract, again I do a lot of critical infrastructure protection, the, the contracts are very, very expensive and they're, they're many years out. So this organization that was purchasing from this vendor had written in a contract that said, these are all our security requirements. We expect these things to be there as we're, we're transitioning to this new technology, which will be in place for the next 20, 30 years, et cetera, because that's what we, timescales we deal in. And uh, a 
a, a main organization, a main vendor, not, not, a, not an upstart, but one of the main players said, oh yeah, we can meet all those things. Um, a few months into it, they acknowledged they weren't going to meet any of those things. They couldn't. Wow. But there was nothing to do. There was no, I, I mean, you'd say, wait, legally you're in breach of contract. Surely there's something, but there is no power to push back on this organization. And again, because there's only like two, three, four vendors in the space, you don't really have the option to pull back on those contracts, particularly if an, a certain amount of the resources, the funding, the, the cash has already been put on the table for, for an option. Uh, and I think this is one of the reasons why, particularly when we talk about industrial control systems, industrial security, there's a lot more pressure these days coming from the government because the government has to change that environment. They have to change the regu regulatory space in order to ensure that organizations, vendors are all swimming in the, in the right direction together. Absolutely. Do you know how many times I have heard my clients say, well, yeah, you know, we, we meet these uh, standards and, you know, these minimum uh, security requirements and, you know, and, and regulations, and they don't look beyond that. They don't look yeah. beyond that. And, she, you know, you're absolutely right. It does have to come. Uh, sadly, security does have to come from, you know, government's regulators and so on. I was having a, a friendly debate uh, on a podcast I did yesterday about the, the fact that Compliance has been commoditized, right? Mm -hmm. You can buy a report that says you do. A checkbox. It's a checkbox. Ah, yeah. Set of checkboxes. AI enabled now, I'm sure. And, and the debate <laughs> we're having is: is it a race to the bottom where security becomes a commodity? Typically, mm -hmm. in the context of where what you need is outsourced to a vendor, to a service provider, and where it can't be met, maybe it can, it can be delivered, but not met. <laughs> <laughs> without you doing it yourself, because only you, the, you, the company, know what needs to be done. It's already have, happening, right? Right. I, managed service uh, security service providers. Mm -hmm. um, so you see it all the time, but you can't reassign that accountability. You still right. own that, so you have to make sure that they are enforcing it, which is a vicious cycle, right? Absolutely. And Sarah's, oh, you guys are I, I think you're, it is difficult to properly reassign the responsibility. The concern is whether or not it's a managed service provider that's offering security solutions or the original equipment vendor, uh, the manufacturer for that device, there is a disconnect between who is at most risk when we talk about adversary capabilities and what the threat actors are going after. because. In a lot of cases, the soft underbelly of the industry is actually at the original equipment manufacturer. I mean, this is case in point, 100% solar winds. I mean, I could name several more obscure things that I think are really cool in the industrial space, but solar winds is about strategic targeting of an organization to achieve highest impact. And they picked a supplier that was servicing thousands of organizations in the US, including most of the US government. Um, now. That one was a little bit interesting because I think that was one of the first times people stopped to say, okay, if there was a really bad attack or hack that happened after this, I think they were going to hold SolarWinds accountable. But I do not necessarily see the same discussions, although we're starting to have more of those chats now. There's not the same expectation in the industrial space that the OEM will be, the original equipment manufacturer will be held accountable if a hack involves their specific technology solution at a third party that's purchased it. Do you do you think it's a matter of time before that changes? 
you know, unfortunately, whether it be regulation or security, I find it's very reactive. Yeah, so absolutely. Very true. I, we talk about being threat aware and threat informed defense and threat informed security and, and uh, ignoring a little bit the buzzwords there. The, the goal of that is actually to get ahead of the threat actor, not to wait until something blows up in my industry, things can blow up, but not to wait until something blows up and then try and fix it after the fact. That, that's a failure of security. Right. If, if you lose millions of dollars, if you lose loss of, if it results in loss of life, that, that was a total failure of security and it should be treated as such. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on that point, a lot of organizations that I go to, right? So we were talking earlier about the NIST cybersecurity framework, right? Identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. And a lot of organizations, even now, are very reactive. They do the uh, detect, uh, peace more than the identify and protect, right? Not very proactive, uh, really reactive more so, even today. And it, there needs Why to be it? more of a, so. Is it just too much tech? It, too hard to manage? Some of it is cultural yeah. uh, at, at organizations is what I'm, I'm seeing is, uh, even today security is you know considered uh, the group that says no all the time. Uh, it makes doing business sometimes very difficult, and so on. So there, there it, it some, sometimes it's cultural, sometimes yes, it is uh, tools overload. Uh, sometimes it is the security program that is not set up in a way to do identify and protect well, you know? I think detect is easy, easy to see and touch and feel yes. and it looks good, yes. so we, we focus on that first. Right. I right. think 100% the technology, but I think there's other part here is the metrics. The metrics sell. Yeah, that's how you go back and, and justify your your financial expenditure. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Unfortunately, it doesn't appear to matter that matter that the metrics are poor. That they're not actually <laughs> indicative that's indicative a of anything. It's right. a number and it's um, getting better. Yeah, it's a right. number. Right. It's getting better. It's you can compare it over time. We don't have the same metrics for protecting things. If you stop an attack from happening we don't have an easy way to quantify that. Right. And so consistently organizations are asking for, how do I justify this expenditure? How do I explain you know, to my shareholders that I'm going to spend $5 million on this expensive service offering or this expensive review of our, our mission, our goals, our, our business opportunity to make sure that our security posture aligns with it and, and it, by the way, if you're 100% successful, congratulations, it means that you never have a cyber attack and you have no way to quantify the value of the money that you just spent. Well, it's all so, value. So I, I agree and disagree, right, in certain spaces that, of that. So one is, there is a way uh, from like an identify and protect perspective to extrapolate a number, right, a, a dollar amount, which is what these executives want to hear, right? Executives understand green, they understand dollars. So when it comes to identify and protect, you can actually show that, hey, you know, if we implement this tool or technology, it will help us reduce the amount of help desk calls that we're getting, which will save us X amount of money. So showing that type of number has been, you know, very, very impactful to show that, hey, security is a money saver. Uh, security is helping the organization. And, and even you can extrapolate those numbers to show, hey, if we do these things in our roadmap, in the next three years, uh, we will save the business 
approximately X amount of money. And that actually tells a story and, and allows the security team to show that they're saving money, they're saving the organization money, why they're important, and they can say yes. They can say yes. I think that works very well in information technology environments, which is why that model has been implemented in those spaces. It does not translate as well into operational technology spaces for many, many, many reasons. And we are trying to get better in the OT space to try and say this is how we can calculate the relative risk. Uh, MITRE has a, an effort, in fact, that's what we were talking about this week, is called infrastructure susceptibility analysis. So rather than just calculate the potential impact and try and translate that into a financial amount, because we can do that based on uh, cyber insurance reasons and actuarial and, and the very small data set we have of past attacks that were really bad, we can calculate the, the potential loss of uh, financial loss. The reality is we still need to overlay that with some threat information because when we go into those those boardrooms and we have a discussion of like, no, I'm sorry, you only have a million dollars to spend on security this year. Your budget should be spent on A and not B. That's where we're trying to get. We still need, by the way, the metrics at the end that said, congratulations, you selected the proper choice B. It saved you, you know, X thousands of dollars, but we're still working on how do you pick between A and B? Well, and in, in OT, you have to layer in the other impact, the human impact, right? If you're a power 100%. company and you, right. you know, lose power to an entire region, what is? How do you calculate that? And that gets really, really complicated. Right? So within That's cyber true. informed engineering, uh, which is interesting, because there's going to be a talk this afternoon um, from Sherry Caddy and Frank. Uh, I can never say his last name. Apologize, Frank Cifaludo. <laughs> um, the, the goal of cyber-informed engineering, which has actually been adopted by the National Cybersecurity Plan strategy right now for 2023, is to try and do some of those calculations ahead of time. Okay. Um, but you're 100% right that underneath CIE, particularly in consequence-driven cyber-informed engineering, there was an equation that was created to calculate exactly that. If you lose power to X number of houses, what does that really mean? There's also a little bit of that equation that says, if you kill five people, how much does that well, put you back? Right. Yeah. Which is Depending a little bit of a dark conversation. Was it public safety or was it one of your own employees? Because unfortunately, they're calculated differently. Right. So right. these are the things right. that you don't know about until you enter the field of industrial security. Well, let me put this out there, because you, you mentioned department and all. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Is it? Is it that the business, and I always ask this question slightly differing almost every episode that I have on my podcast. The question I normally ask is, is there a way the cybersecurity team can have a conversation with the business team that says, what you are building, what you want, and the way you built it is killing us. We're patching stuff all the time because we had to set up this particular system on this particular OS and open these certain ports and have this certain identity. If you just did it this way, we would not have a whole vuln management team and patch management team. That's my normal question. So, but to the, I'm going to pose it a little different today. What if we're all we start as a you can't do anything <laughs> department until you define it securely from the beginning, and then then we become a measurement of enabling the business versus stopping. Right. right? I don't know. It's, it, it, for me, it's an interesting way to think about it. Though. Yeah, so what I see a lot in that space, and I, I've seen it done well, and I've seen this done very poorly. 
<laughs> so uh, the way I've seen it done well is as a security team, if we say yes, you know, you can, we will allow you to do this, but that takes certain processes to change, right? So one is uh, bringing security to the table early. So whether it's vendor selection, whether it is, um, you know, if you're onboarding a service or uh, bringing on a tool or technology or whatever, security must have a seat at the table in order for us to actually say yes. You know, and then uh, not only that, but a as a group, the security program has to have a very robust exceptions process, okay? Very robust, where if we say, all right, we're going to implement these uh, security controls, right? Whether they're manual or you know, you're, you're using a tool or so on to do it, um, you want to go through a very robust exceptions process where someone submits a form, I need this exception, you have proper you know, analysis of why someone would need this exception, it goes through an entire review process, a steering committee that actually analyzes why this is needed, and then it goes to executive team members saying, hey, executive team members, these are the people in your organization that are you know, asking for these requests, the risk tolerance in your for this is way too high. You know, as an executive, let, let's help you go address the fact that there's too many exceptions to security. Now, doesn't always work. Obviously, there's accountability, right? That these executives have to have from a security perspective. It looks different for every organization uh, for for security to be a yes group. <laughs> I love that model. I love bringing the security team yeah. to the table early. I love the kind of implied empowered organization that you described there. I, you know, we're we're not too far away from Silicon Valley right now. I, I mean, there's again, no, not to name names, but there's organizations that are actively calculating things like if you choose this option versus this option, I'm telling you as your security team, it will cost you money in the future. Absolutely. I, it may cost you even safety-related incidents, but. Unfortunately, the security team isn't getting extra votes at the executive table. They're being outvoted by other incentives, other usually business planning, strategic opportunity, business opportunity decisions. So I guess my, my following question to you is, um, if, if you are a security operations organization that's experiencing kind of, you know, you, you've already won the seat at the table, but you're not necessarily being heard, what would your advice be to kind of bridge to the max level because they're only one vote in that business decision making process. Yeah, that is a really important point. So that that takes uh, having, building relationships with the right stakeholders. And and a lot of organiza organizations, you know, you have the security first organizations where the, the CISO is reporting uh, to the CEO directly and maybe has some dotted lines to the CFO or so on. And then you have the organizations that are not security first where the CISO is re reporting to the CIO or some other C-level and there's a conflict of interest there. And even if that's the case, right? Even if you are in an organization that you're reporting to the CIO, CTO or so on, you can start to develop those relationships with those stakeholders, have separate meetings. Have separate yeah. meetings with these folks prior to board meetings. Get it, it becomes political, right there, where you're you're starting to tell them why, why they should care, why they should support you, uh, and and then once you get into the the discussions with the whole group, they're there supporting you. So that that has worked. 
uh, I've seen that work pretty well. And I think it really, I'm going to go back to risk, I think it really comes down to being crisp about how you articulate the risk, right? Because if you can't make that relatable to, to those folks, to the, and, and I agree, the individual sessions are really helpful, um, but you, if you can't articulate that risk well, why do they care, right? They'll just accept it and move on. You so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back yeah. to my product development days where I grew up as an engineer doing quality assurance where typically, like security, was at the very end mm -hmm. and you, you had some veto power to say, uh-uh, I don't care if you have back to school launch scheduled, we're not, we can't let this go, right? Windows 95 launch, I don't care. <laughs> And they have to wait three days. And they'll think the Windows 95 delayed as well back in those days. But the point is, QA had a late seat at the table when it was kind of too late. Um, when I became the product owner, I remembered that. And the, the store, we created user stories with quality assurance engineering and architecture and security. And together, we def defined how we wanted to develop this thing. Right? Did we want to use a particular technology, LDAP versus AD, right? Which did we use, which had better performance, better resiliency, sustainability, secure, all these things we had to discuss. And until then, which is gonna have an impact on QA? Does QA know LDAP or AD better? <laughs> um, all those things had to come into play. So obviously it's a very, uh, very functional view that you might not be able to have at the board level, but somehow you need to have in my case, I was the champion for quality assurance as the product owner. So to your point, I think having a champion or multiple champions at the board and the executive staff to understand what you're trying to accomplish, maybe you'll get their votes as well. I don't know. So we're, we're coming up on, on time here. And I mean, this has been incredible. I just sat here, which is nice. <laughs> um, let's speak to the, the security leadership team. A final thought for... Uh, our fellow CISOs, which I, I plan to never be one because I, I, I could never handle the, uh, the stress. Um, a final thought for those watching, how do, how do you draw that minimum viable security line? I know it's a very broad question, but where, where do you start perhaps, or any, any, any insight? I mean, you could do that a, a few different ways uh, as a CISO. Definitely can use uh, benchmarking based on your industry, uh, you know, based on uh, metrics that are, are available for you and try to see, even, even based on the size of your organization, uh, how other organizations are doing, right, that are similar to you, benchmark that way. Uh, can help so that you can start to uh, you know get closer to what good looks like in your industry in in that uh, business size as well that is one way uh, and those maturity assessments will help with that uh, but also from a looking at those um, security risks that have been accepted uh, within the organization making sure those are being addressed as well um, and not just sitting there yeah. you know not not just sitting there. I've seen that way too many times so those are some some ways uh, that they can go I think having a clear strategy and roadmap and and making it relatable to the business this is how we're going to get 
their, whatever the organization's goals are together. Right. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Storytelling. Yeah. Yes, I know, it comes back to that, but it's true. We have a concept called, uh, very very much similar, called minimally viable process. Mm -hmm. So there is the understanding that you need to be able to calculate as an organization, and maybe I shouldn't use calculate because we get into the math and the metrics, but you need to understand what the bare minimum is of survivability of your business on it for daily operations. And until you have that perspective in your head, you cannot begin to make some of these these calculate the calculated decisions around risk. I think the other part uh, that I would encourage, and you know, it wasn't my theme, but I'll I will steal it and continue on with it. The sooner the security team is at the table, the better. Um, but I think that also requires a, a certain degree of patience and and frankly stubborn attitude because there will be times, particularly if you're talking about pushing out a new technology where you will be outvoted because at the end of the day, the, yeah. the potential risk for a cyber attack that has yet to occur will be considered less significant than the potential revenue gains of making a different modification in the design. But if you look at things like considering the potential effects of a cyber attack as you're designing, the, as you're in the design phase for some of these technologies, you're going to be much better postured to deal with potential threat actor activity in the future. Uh, I guess the way that I would phrase it by one of my previous colleagues is you don't do not want to suffer a failure of imagination early on. So as soon as you can bring in some of those thoughts, the better off you will be. Love it. As you were talking, I was thinking about all, all the things we said and donuts and bullhorns, right? Befriend them with donuts and every time they say something you don't like. Pizza and beer <laughs> on the other oh way. Pizza and beer for Pizza the security that works team. Too. That works too. Yeah. Well, this has been incredible. Um, I knew it would be, and I'm very thankful for all of you uh, for joining me and, and having this conversation. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed it as well. Uh, lots of points to consider, and uh, of course, you have a great group of people here to connect with yourself, look at frameworks, talk to your peers, get some advice from folks. Uh, a lot of different perspectives here. And I want to thank you all for staying tuned to ITSB Magazine here in Broadcast Alley at RSA Conference. We have many more coming up, and I uh, appreciate you following us. Uh, stay tuned, subscribe, share, have fun, stay safe. Be secure, everybody. Cheers. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.